You're listening to I Have Some Notes, a podcast supported by listeners like you. To contribute, visit patreon.com slash I Have Some Notes. Craig, here's a pitch. We remake famous films from the German Expressionist era of the 1920s. Cool. I think you could do something interesting with the cabinet of Dr. Caligari. Oh, why stop at one? I'm thinking an entire franchise. The WCU, the Weimar Cinematic Universe. They all lead up to a big team-up with Caligari and Nosferatu and the Machine Lady from Metropolis. People love cinematic universes. Do they love 100-year-old silent films? They'll love what we tell them to love. I have some notes. Welcome, everyone, to I Have Some Notes, the movie podcast with cuts, keeps, punch-ups, and tweaks on mediocre movies. I'm your host, Liam Kreswick. I'm Scott C. Bourgeois. And I'm Greg Beaver. And today we are discussing The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari, released uh, in 1920. It's a 103-year-old film. Yeah, going right back to the beginning of cinema. And the Uh beginning of horror. Yeah, one of the earliest horror films. Right back to before sound. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's uh, considered one of the great classic impressionist films, too. So it's very surreal and weird. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as always, we'll just remind folks off the top. Hey, why are you guys talking about a 103-year-old movie? Uh, <laughs> and not, you know. <laughs> and not Ant-Man Quantumania. <laughs> yeah, 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 when are you going to do Ant-Man? God damn it. <laughs> when the actors get a fair deal, there is still a strike. We are still observing the request to not discuss struck work, even if other podcasts have uh, shook their integrity and, and carried on <laughs> talking about big, stupid blockbusters. Not us, crazy leftists. We're going to. Uh, stand with the, the we're going to stand with the, the striking actors and watch a hundred year old movies That's right. you out know, of this, solidarity that, and spite downloads be damned. I will, I will say this, uh, say what you will about, about integrity and everything, but this did force us out of our comfort zone a little bit and sure. it allowed us to kind of experiment a little bit with trying something different and one of the things that, and I'll credit Liam for this, actually, uh, that Liam suggested was remaking very old public domain movies. And honestly, when we did the the Brain That Wouldn't Die, that was a ton of fun. Yep. It was um, really fun. To the point where I'm like, we should definitely, like, maybe do one of these a season, at least. Like, where we just take something super old and try to, like, rejigger it for a modern, uh, a modern audience. And, like, we would never would have tried this. If we hadn't been like, no, you know what? We want to support the strikes and we're going to try to do our best. Um, Whether or not we've totally succeeded uh, (laughs) remains to be seen by future peoples, but we've tried. We'll say that. (laughs) Um, And it's, and it's let us like find some interesting stuff that we probably wouldn't have watched and probably wouldn't have discussed otherwise. So yeah. 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 This was not a film that was on my, on my radar. I mean, I, uh, my, 
the 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 number of holes in my uh, film history. <laughs> You know, uh, uh, these are movies that I, I should watch given like how much I care and think about film that I just haven't yet. So it, it's, um, it, it, you know, it was good for me to, to, I think this was actually the first silent film I actually watched from beginning to end. Um, so there's, there's a notch in my belt. <laughs> yeah. Nice. And, and I, you joked a moment ago about, you know, downloads be damned, but I think this, this movie does have its, its fans even a hundred and change years later. Uh, specifically, I watched it on Blu-ray because I was telling a coworker about it. Shout out to my coworker, Jonathan, who's like, dude, that movie rules. I have it on Blu-ray. Do you want it? And I was like, yeah, sweet. Yeah. Um, so, and then also famously, uh, have either of you ever seen the film? Um, uh, oh, I put myself on the spot. It's got a long title. Give me a second. Um, Oh, the unbearable weight of a massive talent with Nicolas Cage from a couple years ago. Uh, not yet. Not yet. It is on my to watch list. Okay. Yes. It's not a spoiler or anything, but there is uh, a scene in the, or multiple scenes in that movie where Nicolas Cage cites his favorite movie as the cabinet of Dr. Caligari. Um, and that's where we got also some of the, the modern Paddington is a great movie discourse, like that kind of meme, but like the true meme that Paddington and Paddington two are great films. Cause uh, uh, Nick Cage makes Pedro Pascal's character watch Cabinet of Dr. Caligari, and then Pedro Pascal's character makes him watch his favorite movie, Paddington 2. <laughs> uh, and the, the two of them are like fawning over Caligari and then weeping at Paddington 2. It's a very fun. So um, I, I think I think this movie has more fans than maybe we're giving it credit for. Yeah, sure. Between Jonathan and Nicolas Cage, we're in good company. <laughs> no, it is a stone cold classic. And uh, there are a lot of older films from that period that that are uh, because they're foundational films. And that includes uh, in the horror genre that includes uh, Nosferatu that includes Metropolis. I know we made fun of them off the top uh, with <laughs> our pitch, but like they are, they're all kind of lumped together because they're all from the same kind of time period, the same era, uh, the same area, like the same group of directors were making these movies and they were so influential to early film. Uh-huh. And um, I feel like that kind of gives them a little bit of an untouchable aura. What, not entirely true, I suppose, because Nosferatu has been remade. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, but- and there's there's also there's untouchable. Can you remake it and untouchable what we do, which is like mm, it really drags the third act. We're <laughs> no. not doing that to this one. No. That would be no. absurd. <laughs> like, I suppose Metropolis. Yeah, I mean, is for one thing, there's too. there's six acts, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but also like you know, no. If we're giving this movie notes, note number one: get a soundtrack and some dialogue. Like it's you know, it's, you can't really hold it to the same standards. So no, but I'm yeah. excited to find out what we're going to do to bring it into the 21st century. Uh, but yeah, let's actually let's make sure because I, I popular as it might be, I don't think everyone has seen it, and so we'll get you uh, hip to some of the details and what exactly happens in this silent film. Uh, of yeah. course. Before before Liam gets into that, you could take a hot minute, pause this podcast, just jump right onto YouTube and watch it for free right now, just to catch yourself. It's up. an hour ten, like it's a it's a it's a really quick sit. <laughs> yeah, it's even at an hour ten, it's not a quick sit. <laughs> you don't think so? Okay, <laughs> it, it, that hour and ten felt like an hour and forty. Um, <laughs> It's I mean, not as long look, I mean, as look, any other movie, not, but it's as long as any other movie. It's not paced, obviously, like a, a yeah. modern movie. <laughs> so that I think that's a little jarring. And maybe that's a little owing to my 
um, my experience watching it because I watched this with with Aaron, and as soon as something is like as old as like 1970s and you know into the past, we automatically go into mystery science theater mode <laughs> because with a with a silent movie there's there's so much space around yeah. the plot points that it's very like you, you gotta fill the space with something like you know, i'm not like i'm not watching this in the theater so so we were kind of like riffing <laughs> on it the whole time so i i had a great time with it um overall and it did actually feel like it was um it was breezing by and and mind you like we weren't we weren't riffing on it in a way that was like you know detrimental. Like like <laughs> we were we were both often commenting about how cool uh, the movie yeah. looked and what was going on and stuff like that. But also just like having a little bit of fun with it too. Yeah, yeah. The soundtrack is literally just a soundtrack. There's there's no sound effects or dialogue or any. So it yeah. it invites commentary over yeah, top for of sure. it. Yeah, kind of. Uh, on that, did you uh, like we? I saw a couple different versions of this uh, movie on YouTube, and I noticed that the soundtrack was different for different ones. So I watched I watched a version of it that claimed to have uh, been using the original tint uh, of of how they displayed it in theaters at the time. Um, mm-hmm. So, like, uh, did you guys have um, scenes that were like blue scenes that were sepia yep. things like that? Yeah. Right. Um, we also we we had a soundtrack that seemed I'm pretty sure it was acronistic. Like it was like there was there was like electric guitars in it and things like that going on and um and like it was awesome. Like the soundtrack was whoever did it was it was really cool and it was super moody. But I really don't think that was the original soundtrack. Nope, <laughs> nope, probably not. Because I don't remember there being electric guitars in the yeah, soundtrack. Yeah, there was like there was kind of like yeah, I don't remember there being electric guitars in Weimar Germany. And no, yeah, like this was so. this was like sort of like uh, jazzy, industrial, and synth wavy in places and stuff like that. Like it was really like it. I I really enjoyed it, but I'm I'm pretty sure I got a different experience than maybe most people did. <laughs> yeah, yeah possibly. That's that's the silent film equivalent of like I accidentally watched it in French with English yeah. subtitles. I didn't realize <laughs> my does anyone else just crave do that sometimes? I'll go to watch something and it'll be like in French for no reason, and I'm like, God yep. damn it! You got and you have to like reload the app. Yeah. Speaking of the unbearable <clears throat> weight of massive talent, for a while I couldn't watch it, and I, I I didn't watch it on Crave because it was only in French for some reason, and I couldn't change <laughs> it. Weird. Glad it's not me. Um. So of course, uh. The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari, 1920 film, directed by Robert Wine, written by Carl Mayer and Hans Janowitz. Uh, the cast is Werner Krauss as the titular Dr. Caligari, Conrad Witt as uh, Cesare, Friedrich Ferrer as Francis, and Little Dagover as Jane Olsen. <laughs> That's um, exactly I'm sure her name I is, I know her name is Lil, like Lillian or whatever, but it, L-I-L, it's like, I'm going to call you like, Little Scrappy. Um, so, Little Dagover uh, as, as Jane Olsen, the, the romantic, uh, the only, like, cla- you know, classic movie, only one female. Yeah. At least, you know what, and, at least in this case, nobody had speaking parts, so... <laughs> Yeah, it had had no chance of passing the yeah. Bechtel test. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Scott, you want to hit us with that plot summary?
Francis sits on a park bench explaining to an old man how dark spirits drove him away from home and family. Not long ago, Francis and his friend Alan were just a couple of dudes living their best life at the Holston Wall Town Fair, drinking in the sights and non-sounds of various exhibits. At the same time, the mysterious Dr. Caligari is seeking a permit to exhibit his somnambulist, Cesare, from a town clerk. The clerk grants the permit, but not before ridiculing Caligari. And that night, the clerk is murdered. The next day, Francis and Alan, still hitting the fair pretty hard, attend Caligari's sideshow. Caligari promises that Cesare can peer into the future and predicts Alan will be dead by dawn. Shaking off the creepy experience, the two meet the beautiful Jane and spend the evening vying for her affection. But that night, Alan is also murdered. Francis Jane and her father, Dr. Olson, begin an investigation. They catch a criminal in an attempted murder of an elderly woman, but the would-be killer denies any involvement in the previous murders. Suspicious of Caligari, Francis spies on him, seeing what appears to be Cesare tucked away in his cabinet, snoozing through a non-murderous evening. However, another apparent Cesare abducts Jane. Francis chases him down, leading to the sleepwalker's demise. When Caligari's sideshow is inspected, they find a dummy resting in Cesare's place. Caligari flees to the local asylum, where he is discovered to be its director. His diary details his obsession with an 18th century murderer also called Caligari and the use of a somnambulist to carry out his heinous acts. With this evidence, the police subdue Caligari. Or so it seems. Because it turns out that Francis himself is an inmate, and Jane and Cesare are fellow patients. The man Francis called Dr. Caligari is indeed the asylum director, who, having heard this whole story, is now confident he can cure Francis of his delusions. Delulu is the kids call it on TikTok. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a fun little framing device, and it's an interesting little twist at the end. Yeah, the fact that it hit us with a with a legit twist that also tracks not only to to the broad audience of 1920, I feel like a pickup was happening, but to me, a hundred years later, where like some of the film, the film language that is often used to convey a twist like that is obviously not present. And there's like a brief moment where like, did I lose track of something? Oh no, it's a twist. It's and they just they didn't have some of the the sort of like knowing winks and and film grammar that a uh, uh, Shyamalan might have. Yeah. So. Well, and it tracks with the visual language of the film as well, that it's all mm-hmm. in Francis's mind because the, the sets are all like angular and stylized. The colors are for a, a sensibly black and white film. As we mentioned, there's different tints. So there's a lot of like weird color play going on. Um, and it it's very dreamlike, uh, which is uh-huh. appropriate because it's a movie about a murderous somnambulist. But it's also like it's happening inside this guy's head, and it's interesting that they can they can tell they can plant the seed of that with the way they're presenting it, so that in the end it's like, oh, okay, no, that makes sense in hindsight. That all makes sense. Yeah, it tracks. It's there's no no dropped offers, no plot threads and honestly yeah it looks cool as hell i i was telling amanda because she watched the sort of the back three three of six chapters with me um and was like it it is one of the coolest looking movies i've ever seen full stop like regardless of the fact that it's 100 years old just yeah. the 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 passion and the love that went into the the production design 
I'm sure it was probably called something different, but like, yeah, the weird angles and the like deliberately like fun house sets, like looking out barred windows that are all at, you know, polygonal angles. Oh, it's just so good. <laughs> just weird non-Euclidean architecture all over the place. Yeah, that's, yeah. Yeah, it's, it has the feel of a weird stage play. And I mean that in the, in the best possible way. Like, I mean that as the highest praise. Um <laughs> I think it actually only feels like a play because the camera angles are always from eye level looking straight on. Well, yeah, um, I bet if yeah. that if they had if the one piece of modern technology they had was like the ability to pan and tilt and zoom and like dolly. Oh, there'd be so it, many Dutch th- angles in this movie. It would have made it. Yeah, there would have been Dutch. Yeah. Like this is this movie predates sound and the Dutch angle. Therefore, they had to build the Dutch angles into their sets <laughs> manually. They had to manually Dutch angle this delusion. Uh, <laughs> brute force it. Uh, perfect. Uh, yeah. but the thing that also that really surprised me about the, the 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 visuals was obviously like the sets are cool, but you can see that even from like the first screenshot you see if you Google it. Uh, what really captured me was the text with all of the dialogue because when you see a silent film, it's always that like sort of thin, evenly shaped. Um, serifed font that we think of when we think of an old timey silent movie. Whereas mm-hmm. this was like this chaotic green color. It was yeah. like all the, there was no typography. Like there was no font set for this. It looked kind of drawn by hand, like an indie comic, Um, but not even drawn by hand, like an indie comic. Cause it was in these like chunky letters. The whole, the whole thing kind of looked like a Saul Bass intro. Like, like different kind of like, like tissue paper on layers. Yeah, I was, I was really delighted with the, uh, the, the text. It looked cool as hell again for any era. And and there's all sorts of like, um, like there's, um, the use of, I, I, I did not know that they, uh, had spent time like tinting film like that back in the silent era, which is, which is obviously extremely smart to be able to do that and to set your mood uh appropriately and and um so that was not something that uh that i had seen before but they are they're also using um uh, vignettes very effectively to to you know um introduce their scenes focus your attention on certain characters where they are placed in the within the scene and things like that um and there are there are legitimately uh, some scenes that are so well composited that they would not look out of place in a movie today. And I'm thinking specifically mm-hmm. of the scene where Cesare is uh, sneaking into Jane's room. Like that is just a beautiful set, beautifully framed shot. Um, everything about it is um, uh, you know, beautiful. Yeah, you're talking where he's like leaning on the wall. Mm-hmm. He's yeah. like, yeah, sort of a weird pose, but yeah, it's it's very ominous and creepy and sneaky. My my one my one note for this for this movie is that um, speaking of of Cesare and that particular scene is is that I don't know why he died. <laughs> He just seems to have like he, I don't know if he just like he, did he have a heart attack and he was just like running away or what's the deal there? Did he get like woken up like how you're not supposed to wake up a sleepwalker? Uh, I suppose. I suppose that's possible. According to uh according to the internet he dies of exhaustion. Okay. 
Well, all he's been doing is sleeping. That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Boy, Adjust. is that ironic. Yeah. Also, synambulist, fun word. Had never heard that before. Did yeah, you know, was that either. your first time with synambulist? Oh, yeah, I had to look it up immediately. Uh, no, I was actually familiar with the word somnambulism. So I assumed that a somnambulist was somebody who did somnambulism. <laughs> that makes sense, yeah. Yeah, at, fir- at first we were kind of riffing the movie because, like the you know the idea of someone placing a somnambulist in a in a fair like thrill as he sleeps, <laughs> you know, it just seems so <laughs> so silly. But it, you know, obviously, it turns out he's he has these uh, powers of prediction, predicting the future or whatever. So, like, okay, fair enough. That's far more interesting. But yeah, at first, it's it's felt somewhat laughable. I did sort of joke on my gathers like this movie's so boring. There's a character that's asleep through the whole thing, um, it, but it's not a boring movie. I'm just just joking. It was actually quite quite a good time. Okay. Yeah. Oh yeah. It, to, to take this in a in a slightly um, different direction before we get to um, trying to to remake it, um, I kind of went down a bit of a rabbit hole in researching. Dr. Gallagheri, and, and I came across like several interesting videos, but I uh, the the one I'm thinking of right now is is uh, something called "From Caligari to Hitler." Um, did you guys? I, I think I sent it to you. I yep. don't remember if you yep. want. It. Yeah. So in it, the 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 narrator tells a story of a, like a group of Marxist film critics, which cool. <laughs> can, do we? Can I be one of those? That's what I. That's yeah. what I aspire to. Who believe that uh, because the film is like is such a large because film in general is such a large collaborative endeavor, including like the inputs from writers and actors and directors and producers and the crew, uh, that they open up a window into the collective consciousness of a society, and then like post war or post great war. Germany uh-huh. filmmakers seem to be like preoccupied with authoritarian figures and their ability to extract agency from the public or in like Caligari's case, like oh, just a single person. Um, the escapist cinema, I think like they had, they point out is like, it, it's not itself fascist. Like this, like things like Caligari itself wasn't, weren't fascist or, or celebrating authoritarians, but they may have revealed how much the German public feared or fantasized about a tyrant. Um, mm-hmm. But what was perhaps most eyebrow raising about the video is that it concludes in a montage of like superheroes and other uh, strongmen and authoritarian types in modern cinema. And like, it's admittedly like pre heavy handed, but it touched on something that it, like I've long been concerned about in our movies like and that's the power fantasy like an alarming ratio of popcorn movies in my lifetime have been mm-hmm. about a single man who takes it upon himself to right a wrong um and they're usually presented as like righteous or above the law you know uh yeah they're stop- following their heart like the, they're like if you know in your gut what you're doing is true go and do it yeah and like 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 he, action stars like Schwarzenegger and Liam Neeson and Keanu Reeves, they all like murder with the punity. Uh, and from the film's perspective, they're right to do so. Uh, like they, yeah, John Wick, even. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like he murders 
everybody. <laughs> like mm-hmm. that is like I think like the overall takeaway from those films is like, you know, you have to take control. Uh, you have to be the one to exert your will over everyone. Like you're right and everyone else is wrong. And I think about that often because I, I wonder about the totality of that effect that these movies have on our culture and in turn, like our worldview. Um, and I wonder if it's like any wonder that we're standing here on the precipice of uh, like an authoritarian coming in and tearing down what's left of our democratic institutions. And it's just like, yeah, it, it's, you know, I, I just kind of wonder if we're in that same sort of position as Weimar Germany. Yeah. It, it, <laughs> You're right. That little bit at the end of that video is heavy handed, but I, I, we, we should share it with our listeners because uh, I was quite taken. He does a really good job of laying it on quite thick in a way that you can't really argue with. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like lots has been said about them. The, you know, the, how the Marvel movies are just defenders of the status quo or like a lot of the villains have a point. Um, you know, your your killmongers and what have you. Um, and yeah, it. it, it I'm really glad you found that video because I uh, my research was more just like on this era of film, this era as it relates to film history, um, whereas this is more like, hey, let's look at this like notable point in film history and extrapolate something interesting about the world at large, which yeah. was yeah. quite profound. So, uh, yeah, Behind the Lines was the YouTube channel, uh, and we should definitely share that link when this video goes up or this yeah. podcast goes up. Yeah. So all that is to, to basically say that like, the cabinet of Dr. Caligari is a loaded film, um, both from like <laughs> both from like a like a, a film history perspective, but also from like what was going on in Germany at the time and and maybe what it says about, you know, the human condition as a whole, which I mean, like it, it, it makes sense to me why it, it stood the test of time, because it is there's there's so much to sort of take in and think about. Yeah. I didn't have anything to add through that because you guys said it all very succinctly, but I also did watch that video. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but uh, nonetheless, we are going to drag this film kicking and screaming into the 21st century with our pitches on how to remake it, make it relevant, make it entertaining for modern audiences, uh, maybe with less political baggage, maybe with more political baggage. Who's to say <laughs> we're <laughs> going to figure that out here uh, when we come back. I'd like to get more reading done, and joining a book club seems like a good idea, but I don't know. Why not? Reading a whole book in a month, that's pretty daunting. What if it was just a chapter, say a week? That doesn't sound too bad. Still, getting together with a bunch of people, that's a whole evening. Well, what if it was only half an hour, whenever you wanted to? That would be great. The Read Along, a mini book club for your ears. Join my wife, Anita. And my husband, Scott. As we take you on a journey through a good book, one one chapter chapter at at a time. time. Available right now on your podcatcher of choice. Welcome back to I Have Some Notes. We are going to remake The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari uh, for uh, modern sensibilities. Um, and I'd like to go first because uh, uh, maybe I, I think this is still in the spirit of the assignment, but my update is 100% cosmetic and 0% updating just about anything else. The plot, even maybe the dialogue and music. Um, because like the story in and of itself is like pretty tight, but there's also not a lot of story there that I think you could drag it out to an hour and a half plus for a modern audience. And the thing that is most endearing about this film is the, 
the design, the not just the the sets, but even the costumes. Like Dr. Caligari looks creepy and weird. That guy's got like weird face makeup on. Everybody's ghostly white. The text is amazing. So my pitch is we're three years too late, but for the hundred year anniversary um, of this movie, uh, you have all six chapters animated by different animators in like an anthology showcase of animation that stays fairly true to the original plot and even the original like text that shows up in the interstitials, probably even the music, you just get like modern update on whatever the, the true music was maybe with cool guitars like Greg's version. Um, <laughs> but you get, you do it like an anthology and you get six different animators to take a crack at each of the six chapters and I think all that would do is like, cause the only thing that's a drag about this movie, the only thing that quote unquote doesn't work, it all works. It's a hundred year old movie. Quote unquote doesn't work is that it is kind of boring pace wise because all of the shots are, you know, static shots looking straight on and it can look cool as hell. But if there's no camera moving, if there's no dynamic action to the, the, the framing or the camera or anything, it is just kind of a drag. So if you animate it, all of those slow moments that are mostly just like belabored straight on shots in this movie become kind of kinetic and exciting because they're being animated and they can put in Dutch angles. They can point the camera at different directions because it's animated. Um, and I think it would just take what's already good about this movie, the aesthetic, the story, whatever, and turbocharge the boring parts by having yeah, the dynamic dynamic aspect that comes with anything animated, right? Like even someone walking slowly through a garden can be interested interesting if it's animated well. But like watching Jane sort of meander through the garden, it's like that shot's too long. Like it's just like it's just a ghostly lady walking. It's there's a lot of like footage of people walking through cool looking sets. The sets are cool, but the walking isn't. So make the walking interesting by having it be animated. Before I continue, thoughts? I um I was actually thinking more or less along the same lines. Um I, I was thinking about um sort of the politics of remaking it and mm-hmm. how how would you shield yourself against remaking, you know, the very first horror movie and and something that um you know, arguably, is it like is it in, intris- intrinsic to a, a particular artistic period of time, and mm-hmm. like you know, and, and trying to and trying to take that and, and rebuild it for a modern audience. And I, I thought that um, I, I could really see this movie as like a, a like a marionette movie. Like I think that would be okay. that would be in, like just like because it, it it meshes so well with like the current aesthetic like not only is there some thematic reasons to do that like Mm -hmm. if if it's marionette like you know caligari is using cesare as a puppet there you go uh but all but also like because the like the we were talking about how um the sets sort of play with perspective and and i often felt like you know the the buildings were uh were off perspective like they were too small for the people who were walking on the set and that would be very interesting uh, like a, a creep factor with like these 
weird moving marionettes living on a set like that where the things around them are either too small or off perspective and things like that. I could I could really see that working really well in a in a creepy horror way, like giving yourself a reason to build uh, something that's uh, an artistic love letter to Dr. Caligari. Um, artistic love letter ser- is yeah the the, <laughs> yeah. the vein while, I was trying to strike yeah yeah while also like you know shielding yourselves from like any sort of direct comparison to a classic whereas like it it, it maybe comes more off more like a uh, uh an experiment or like a um you know like a I'm not sure what the word I'm It's an art for. project. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's it, like draw this in your style on Instagram. Like, hey, this is, we're all going to, we're all going to riff on Dr. Caligari. Uh, Scott, I want to hear what you thought. And then I, I. Well, I mean, I like both of your pitches. I want to start out by saying okay. that. Um, neither of them are modern remakes of this movie. They're both <laughs> loving, retelling, loving retellings of the original uh, that. Yeah. They're not actual modern remakes. They're not movie. modern remake. Well, mine is a little more because you are re- you are remaking it and you're adding the artistic flourishes of each of the six. Greg, was that your pitch or was that you just riffing on my idea? Um, both. <laughs> both. Okay. Yeah. Before I, w- I want to hear more about like your 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 pitch pitch for it. Um, when I realized, like looking at the beautiful type and text, I realized I'm like, eh, yeah, it's not really a remake, and it's also kind of just easy to be like, get six cool artists to do it. That's kind of a cop out. Um, uh, so I went a little hard, harder than I maybe needed to. And after watching this, because I had time to kill, it's only an hour, 10 minutes. Um, <laughs> I watched a bunch of short films, like a bunch. And I found five that I think you could be like who I would give the role to. Um, cause I I'm like, who could I name off the top of my head that I'd suggest? And I'm like, I got salad fingers and then ran out of ideas. Um, <laughs> So, uh, I was like, well, I better do my homework. And so I watched a bunch of short films. Um, so maybe we'll do it at the end, uh, just cause it is a bit, not rambly. I think it's interesting, but I have five short films I want to recommend to our listeners and why each one of them had something I think would contribute well to the aesthetics and themes of Caligari. I didn't get to six, but I left one open cause I knew you guys would have a suggestion. Mm-hmm. Greg comes in with. Puppets. Love it. <laughs> um, so I'm not just being like, hey, get a bunch of animators to do it. And that was, you know, wash my hands of it. I, I did my homework and I'm back in this pitch up with possible draft picks. So I think I think you should give them now because we're on the topic of it. On the topic. Cool. Um, yeah. Okay. If you'll indulge me, I'll try to make try to keep it tight. So my, my the way I started filtering them first was I tried to watch all the Oscar nominated short films, short animated films from the past couple of years. And there's lots of good ones. But not of all of them were creepy or had anything that would like suit this style. So I had to st- go start digging through YouTube recommendations and also browsing around Canopy. Canopy is the the service that your mm-hmm. library uh, sort of like it's the streaming service for the library. If so, you've got a library card, you can get Canopy for free and we yeah. highly recommend it. Or Hoopla, it's called in some places or like a different one called Hoopla. But yeah, libraries have their own streaming services now. Talk to your local library. Highly recommend so this first one I found on Canopy, but I will share a link to it on Vimeo. It's called The Periwig Maker. It's from 1999 uh, and based on a Daniel Defoe novel, A Journal of the Plague Year from 1722. Whole thing's narrated by Kenneth Branagh. It's pretty good. It's like a stop motion animated thing about a guy who's locked away during the plague. 
making wigs and trying to think about why this plague is killing everybody. And it just looked really slick. It was really well done stop animation. And the main character has the same kind of ghastly, ghostly white face as uh, Cesare and even uh, the other characters at times. Uh, and so I think this make a strong first chapter. I was basically going to have chapter one and chapter six be stop motion to sort of represent quote unquote reality. Um, but obviously the the stop motion in number six is uh, a little more intense. In fact, I'm going to skip right ahead to six. Um, any chance I can talk about my favorite movie of recent times, Mad God, uh, with, by Phil Tippett, um, I will take that shot. Go watch Mad God. It's amazing. Uh, Phil Tippett uh, was a miniature animator, did a bunch of stop motion stuff. Like he worked on Jurassic Park. He worked on basically any movie, blockbuster movie with little miniatures. He probably had a hand in it. And his recent film, Mad God, is like truly gross and ugly and unhinged. And I think would make a nice juxtaposition to the very clean, crisp style of the periwig maker in the first chapter. So first first touch of reality, super clean. Number six, Phil Tippett's uh, deranged brain. Um, one of them would be Greg's marionette thing. I love that. That looks cool. Uh, watched a great short film called The Flying Sailor. It's a Canadian one. Um, that you can watch uh, on YouTube or on the National Film Board of Canada's website. And it's about uh, a sailor who gets blown up in the Halifax explosion and flies two kilometers in the air before landing and lives to tell about it. It's based <laughs> on a true story, an apparent <laughs> true story. Um, it's a trip. So, yeah, the whole this like eight minute short film is just this like animated naked soldier flying through the sky, having his life flash before his eyes. And why I like this one for Caligari, the illustrations look kind of like any illustration you see in like the New Yorker, like very kind of modern, like minimalist, like accompanying a, a long read in a in a magazine. But it's intercut with these, the, the the stuff flashing before his eyes are like real footage, tinted, kind of the same way Caligari is tinted, and often shown through like peep, like not peepholes, like porthole framing, like circular framing, mm. which Caligari does a lot as well. Uh, one thing I did like about Cabinet of Dr. Caligari is the weird wipes where they would have like the bottom half of the frame would be like an image and it would like wipe by just expanding the frame. I don't know if you guys noticed that. Pretty, pretty effective. Anyway, um, there were shots in this Flying Sailor short that looked like shots from Caligari. Uh, so I would uh, I would give them probably one of the earlier chapters. Um, Canadian filmmakers Wendy Tilby and Amanda Forbes. Very cool one. If, if nothing else on this video you watch, I do recommend go find The Flying Sailor. It's a great little short. And Canadian. Uh, found a weird YouTube one called Behind Closed Doors um, that was made by a guy named Johnny Button of Button Studios. It was really popular. One of the, like the early YouTube short films to the point where he remade it years later after being better at animation. And what I like about this one, it's like about a kid, whatever. He's his Afraid of monsters in his closet, but the real monsters, his abusive dad. It's fine. I don't really recommend you watch the video, except just go look at shots of it. The way this guy animates it, pretty simple drawings, but the textures, the color is like photos or at least really photorealistic textures of skin, of fabric, of wood. So like the wooden wall is like a picture of wood. The the carpet is carpet. 
and it just gives it this really eerie feeling because you're seeing these kind of like cartoon drawings with real skin. Um, and when you think about Dr. Caligari in this movie, like the actor, like scrunching up his face in his little circle glasses, um, I think it would play really well, uh, with that guy's aesthetic. Uh, and then last but not least, have either of you watched Love, Death and Robots on Netflix? Yep. Yes. <laughs> we're, we're both nodding to Liam and, uh, that's, that gets really across in a podcast medium. Uh, so yeah, there's, uh, Love, Death, and Robots, a Netflix series with just, like, short sci-fi films in anthology form. And there was one in particular uh, called Tall Grass that was season two, episode five, directed by a guy named Simon Otto. Honestly, it doesn't matter if it was in the short. It was kind of fine. But the thing I really liked about it was the character design, like, the puppet model design. The Because C- it was a CG. This one was CG, um, like, 3D models had the same polygonal shapes as the Caligari set and the same textures and brushes as the Caligari set, like the big chunky brush strokes that you can see on Mm -hmm. all the sets. If you're having a hard time visualizing it, honestly, that Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle Mutant Mayhem movie that just came out recently, same vibe, same difference. So that kind of aesthetic uh, for one of the other chapters. Uh, so those are my, my my pitches for the animators I give this to, and I will share all of these short films uh, over on our Discord if you want to join our Discord. Yeah, we can uh, also put yeah. them in our show notes, too. Thank you for letting me ramble. I don't know how else to do it, but that was like <laughs> that was my pitch, was like, you get some really cool animators to do an artistic love letter to this period of art history. Because that's what it is. Film yeah. history is art history, mm-hmm. and this is a period of art history. I love you guys both. Uh, I think these are. This is an incredibly good idea. This is a fitting tribute and love letter to uh, a very important piece of cinema. I, however, am a Hollywood producer, and I don't give a damn about art. I want to drag <laughs> you both kicking and screaming into the twentieth century. So, to hell with your idea. <laughs> okay. Um, I was sensing a. Butt. This would be for film nerds. This would be like Caligari at a hundred. Like yeah. But you know yeah. what? I don't want my movie to appear just in at the Metro and other art houses. I want it to appear at Halloween time in front of sold out audiences across America. So I need jump scares and I need modern stuff. So that's what we're going to do. <laughs> I don't know necessarily about jump scares, but I, I took this as how would I retell this story to a modern audience? And I realized there was a lot of... um there's a lot of period specific stuff that you just have to kind of jettison and you just kind of have to reinvent it from uh, using like modern pop culture. Like people don't go to the fair and see a freak show anymore. Um, (laughs) That's, that's not done, but you know where people do do stuff for clickbait. Yeah. Social media. Oh boy. And so I immediately was like, this is a psychological tech thriller. Uh, (laughs) <laughs> where no, where Francis, I'm into it. Francis and Alan are both like teenagers. They're both they both are maybe in maybe in high school, maybe in university, and they hear about this kind of like underground channel uh, online where this guy who's this kind of like Jordan Peterson type, like he's got like credentials. He's a psychologist, but he's got this like weird like YouTube channel or something where he goes live and he, he does this hypnotism thing and he has, 
his cabinet and he's got his Cesare. He's got this, this patient of his who in a hypnotic trance while he's asleep can apparently like tell people's fortunes. He can, he can see the future and, but it's always dark stuff, which is why it's this underground thing. And then you kind of, you kind of build off of that. And that's where you still get the murders. You've still got, uh, you've still got the little love story going on with Jane and Francis, but you amp up the tension as Francis continues to like investigate this channel. Like he starts to get targeted after Alan gets murdered. And now he's got this like creepy sleepwalk. And I, I think you really turn up the creep factor on Shazari. Like he's, this sleepwalking murderer who's being mentally controlled through like subliminal messages by this crazy psychologist. Like you can, you can have like a huge slasher vibe going on with that. You can have some jump scares. It still culminates with him breaking into uh, Jane's house and taking her. And then like he gets chased down. I think you have a much more violent end for Cesare because you want to make it a little more, a little more modern and actiony. Um, you get the reveal that the doctor who's going by Dr. Caligari is actually like, like is actually like a discredited guy or something. And, and you still have it build up, I think to the twist where it turns out that Francis is actually on like a YouTube channel and he's telling this story for clickbait. I think that's the way you twist it in this one. He's not, yeah, yeah, I was going to say, cause you can't do a sane asylum, but if he's, yeah, if it's really him just telling this, like. He's the one, he's the one telling this story for clickbait online and someone else is watching him. And I think that's the, the twist that you have at the very end. Mm -hmm. So like, I don't, I don't have a lot of like specific beats because I think that you can still tell this story, but you tell it in a way that amps up the action, amps up the body count to make it a real slasher. So Francis has more friends than just Jane and Alan who also get targeted. Um, yeah, and you you make it this weird psychological slasher movie with like this like creepy tech bent where it's all coming off of this underground like video channel where this guy is doing these doing this really dark stuff for clicks. <laughs> have you uh have either of you seen uh Gerald's game? Is, I have not watched it yet, no. Uh it is it is very good. It's on Netflix if you if you want to check it out. But um Warning, uh, spoilers for said Gerald's game. Um, as you were talking, it just reminded me of this one particular bit uh, of Gerald's game. With like um, the movie, I guess I have to describe the plot a little bit. So, so Carl Gugino and Bruce Greenwood are having sex. He ties her up. She gets stuck to a bed, and then he has a heart attack while she's tied up. And then the the movie just plays out um, with her being stuck in this bed and then a bunch of weird stuff happens. One of the weird things that happens is that there's this big giant guy with um, piercing gold eyes and he kind of looks at, do you remember, do you know, Mr. Hom from the next generation? That's kind of yep. what he looks like. And he like, it's very creepy, but it's always like an open question about whether this guy actually exists or not. Right. And I'm thinking the same thing for, for Cesare and, uh and francis where um we have uh we have francis see whether it's a tech thing or not um or whether this is like a period piece and it's and he actually does go to the fair 
it's it's a kind of a situation where he it's more as if he's imagining the threat maybe like his his friend does die but the uh circumstances surrounding his death are more obscure right like the like they could have been drinking at the fair or whatever uh or the bar and when they meet jane um you know, this is all after Alan gets told that he's going to die or whatever. You know, they they have this they have this crazy night, and then it's sort of like he does he does die, but like it's sort of like ambiguous about uh, the murder. But then Francis begins to imagine this creepy threat where he is um, continually stalked by this skulking somnambulist weirdo. Uh, who's always you know you know if you want those jump scares you you can have him pass in the shadows and then you can then you can mimic those great shots from the original where he's you know you know slinking along the walls in this this crazy town or he's approaching Jane from inside her bedroom and things like that um you know but i i i think that gives you an opportunity to have that twist at the end where where you kind of get to go either way like was is Cesare a was he a real threat all along or not? Or is it always in uh in Francis's head? Um no, I that- I like that. I, I think I would tweak it a little bit because I do want I do want my slasher movie kind mm-hmm. of climax. I think you can build the tension by having some of the early deaths be super ambiguous. And Francis starts to suspect that it has something to do with this with this channel. Uh, with this Caligari guy, with this with this somnambulist, but he can't put his finger on it. He can't prove anything. But he also starts to feel like the paranoia mounting. He starts to see Cesare uh, around. He starts to like, like he's slinking around in the background, like you say. Um, but at the point where Jane gets abducted, that's the point where it becomes clear, oh, no. Cesare's real. <laughs> Caligari is like mind controlling this guy to do mm-hmm. murders. Mm-hmm. Like that's where that's where the plot kind of coalesces. And then you can have like the showdown between Francis and Cesare, which again, it, in my version, it's not Cesare just runs until his heart gives out. He like there's <laughs> there's a confrontation. There's like slasher movies. I think it would be really cool if he was clearly like asleep. While like trying to murder a guy, mm-hmm. that, like that, the creep factor for me is just really high on that. Yeah. Um, plus, then there's the the added bonus of like Cesare is himself a, a victim, a helpless victim of Caligari's, right? Mm-hmm. Because he's not consciously aware of what he's doing. He's not doing it by his own free will. Um, and then, of course, at the end, it turns out it's all a story anyway that Francis is making up to you know up his Reddit score. So, <laughs> yeah, I was I was thinking about that aspect of it. Um, your the the sort of the twist being like Francis is is doing it deliberately, and I don't necessarily think it needs to be a like I'm not crazy, you're crazy twist. But I do like this something of the like the subversion where. It doesn't have to be, yeah, it doesn't have to be the uh, I'm not crazy, you're crazy twist, but I do want Caligari to go from being the problem to being the guy who's like, I can fix the problem, you're the problem. Um, that twist being like, who's the problem, who's the villain, mm-hmm. um, and and not not really knowing, having it be kind of ambiguous, because the film, as it stands, is meant to be somewhat ambiguous, like, yeah. um, whereas yours seems pretty cut and dry that this guy's like spinning a yarn for clickbait. Yeah. 
Fair enough. And I, I, you know, you just pitched it, so I'm not, this isn't a fully baked idea, but you had sort of compared Caligari to like a Jordan Peterson type. Mm-hmm. And so what if like, instead of going to his sideshow, they're like, they're taking his classes and then finding out that this guy, his, cl- he's, when he's not teaching questionable ethics classes and questionable <laughs> psychology yeah. classes, he's running this weird Twitch channel on controlling people who are asleep, kind of like a bit of a red pill, like, are you sleeping or are you awake thing? I like that. Um, and then everything plays out, like you said, yada, yada. Uh, and then it's revealed that actually Professor Caligari, Dr. Caligari is studying the online trend of these like sleepwalking murder kids who think that they're like they're synambulist pilled like the synambulist pilled subreddit of like <laughs> you can you can exert your control by activating synamb- and and really it's like Caligari isn't this murderer he's the guy studying this online trend of murderers um and that that's just kind of keeps a little bit more of that, like, well, who really was doing it? Who really is the murderer thing that's in the 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 original? Where yeah, like I said, uh, so you're kinda- you're you're basically saying that in the end, it turns out that it might not have been Cesare, but it might have been Francis the whole time who was doing yeah. The yeah, I, there's a million Cesare's and yeah, there's a million. It, it gets a little Fight Clubby. Um, <laughs> like there's a million Robert Paulsons. There's <laughs> like yeah. We're all Robert Paulson. Yeah, that sparked a a, a, a slightly different idea because I, I love the idea of Francis um, taking classes, and it's this, and it's just this sort of like questionable professor um, who's who's bringing like subjects to the class, and like that he's uh, ostensibly sort of like experimenting on, um, and like the 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 ethic you know the ethics of it are very very questionable but like what if this is a movie about like uh sleep paralysis and like dr caligari is using people's sleep paralysis to sort of like uh control them in this in the way that in the way that like in the movie proper he's uh using uh using somnambulism to to get people to do his bidding or whatever and that way that kind of like opens up the door for like for him to like convince Ch- or, uh, Francis um, that he can help him with his sleep paralysis and the reason why I think about sleep paralysis is because like often people describe sleep paralysis like is like um, seeing being awake but seeing some kind of demon or witch um, some people describe it as like it just being out of their vision, but they know it's there. Some people just straight up see it, um, uh-huh. which is creepy as fuck. <laughs> like just like seeing like a demon in the doorway and you can't do anything about it. Um, so like if it's if if, if 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 Francis has this sort of like paralyzing thing about him and then he gives into Dr. Caligari, then you then that opens up the door to to um, swing from something that is like sort of like modern to into something that's uh, visually more like Caligari because you get to access these dream sequences, this, these sleep paralysis sequences. And then you can open it opens you even more up to like being able to uh, have that question of like dream, not dream reality versus not reality and so on and so forth, which are you know part of what the uh, Cal- Dr. Caligari proper is about. 
Yeah, there's some interesting stuff you could play with with that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But that like I love that I love that idea, Liam, of just like this this sort of like unhinged professor kind of angle. I think that's cool. Yeah. I, I think and then, and then I think the it's much more sorry. Oh, the twist is like he's not an unhinged professor doing crimes. He's a hinged professor studying these creepy behaviors. Right, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, and I think that that's a good more modern take on the asylum director. Yeah, and sure. and again, I think I think that the the like weird Twitch channel is uh, a, a good take on the modern like sideshow attraction, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, because we're doing something shocking to get the views. Yeah, and in this case, the shocking is I'm going to have my sleepwalking patient predict your doom uh-huh. and then people start dying from it. And then there's some question of like, Oh, is he making it happen? Is it just like, is it real? I don't know. And then Francis starts to have delusions and yeah, he could, he could be a patient of Caligari's right off the top who then also finds this thing, which makes him really, um, like maybe he's not taking classes. Maybe he is a patient. And then he hears this guy's also got this thing going on and uh, that, and uh-huh. that really messes him up because now this is my doctor. This is the guy who said he can help me. Yeah. That's a, I like, yeah. I the, like, as soon as you said Peterson, I was like, Oh, classes, but no, maybe he is like a patient who finds out his yeah. doctor has this weird side hustle. Kind of <laughs> yeah. a blend of, of both of your ideas. Yeah. Nice. Cause then you can keep the, the sleep paralysis thing, which, which I do like actually. Uh-huh. Speaking of Greg, did you want to elaborate on your marionette pitch at all? No, I pretty much had laid it all out, so it's all good. <laughs> <laughs> nice, <okay. Sweet. laughs> yeah, that's it. That's the I. I didn't really, unlike uh, the brain that wouldn't die, I didn't have a full, a fully formed thought about. Uh, but I could. I honestly just kept thinking about the authoritarianism of it all, and that was what sort mm-hmm. of dominated most of my thoughts while I was uh, 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 thinking about this movie. So yeah. Um, what I what I was primarily focused on as far as like remakes was is just like um how do you do it in a way that like because because it is such a unique film like you have to acknowledge that uniqueness in some way so like how do you mm-hmm. how do you do that um uh by paying and that's uh, the most respect possible to the movie and that's why I ended up with animated thing I know Scott's kind of holding my feet to the fire on the spirit <laughs> of the exercise but it really is like you you can't really. Unlike The Brain That Wouldn't Die, which was our first one of these that we did, where, like, for all intents and purposes, the people making that movie in the late 60s had access to all the modern film technology, you know, if not that we have at least better films. They were they were making better movies next door in the 60s, so they could have fixed some of those problems, whereas Caligari was, like, top of its class when it came out, so really... There's no, there's no notes. It's, so it's, it's one of the movies like, that was inventing film language for horror. Yeah, movies. like yeah. 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 So it can, it can only be this sort of like love letter to what it stands for, as opposed to something that you can like harvest for inspiration. Like it's already inspired. It's already, it's already <laughs> been the it's source a, of inspiration. Yeah, for it's already years, baked right? into the horror genre writ, writ large already. Yeah. So like, yeah, uh, yeah, I, I. I I think what Scott is pitching is is like it's you know like a popcorn affair type horror movie, um, which 
which may <laughs> result in like if were it actually made, it may result in in a whole lot of eye rolling and vehement frustration of film critics, <laughs> maybe even by people such as ourselves. Like I think that's kind of yeah. that's <laughs> funny to think about. But yeah, like it's it like I I, I think you're right. I think that I, I, I think that's more in the spirit of the exercise of the episode. Um, uh-huh. But, but certainly like a, were it to be remade and you, and you get this kind of um, uh, you know, what would be like a, <laughs> like a modern horror that sort of like that. I, I was I started thinking of searching when you mentioned like tech stuff or whatever, but like, obviously that's not where you're going for, but you know, or like anyway. we'll go to the world's fair. Yeah. 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 Yeah, and don't misunderstand. I really liked Liam's pitch. Of like, course, I would yeah, watch. No, yeah. the, I would go to the Metro and watch the hell out of that. Yeah. Um, but I, I, yeah, it's not surprising that to me that you you pitched something like that because you're such a, a fan of what was that that, that um, Shrek thing? Um, Shrek retold. Yeah, yeah, was yeah. In our so, like, follow us on Patreon. I and we do. I have some recs where people recommend things. Uh, and one of my recommendations was Shrek retold, where uh, a bunch of animators, yeah, hundreds of them took a, a scene or two from Shrek and did it in their own style. Not even animators. There's live action stuff. Yep. Um, and it was sort of in that, that um, uh, very much in that vein of like, let's say, yeah, a one-to-one source of inspiration to this. Um, yeah. Um, or even just things like anytime you get anthologies of animation, I'm, I'm a big fan. Love Death and Robots on Netflix is great. Yeah. 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 Well, our listeners had some great insights and comments as well. Thank you to everyone who contributed. Please follow us on social media, uh, wherever there's social media, we're doing it. And you can find us by putting, I have some notes into the search bar or put me or Greg or Scott's name in, and then you'll see us retweet it. You'll get there. <laughs> um, Ian Wallace says, consider making it about 20 minutes long. The story isn't long or complicated. Modern audience expectations regarding pace are considerably different than those of the 1920s. Consider a bold, angular approach to set design, but perhaps without the temptingly obvious Tim Burton flourishes. <laughs> yeah, I definitely thought about uh, Tim Burton while I was watching this. You can see yeah, that you can he see he was heavily influenced <laughs> by it. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he was. It'd be hard. I'd be surprised if he wasn't. Yeah. Um, the other thing I like about Ian's comment here about just crunching it down to 20 minutes long. I think all of us were trying to tiptoe around the problem Greg addressed early on of like, how do you not, how do you remake this and not invite comparison? Um, and each one of us tried to find a solution, like unflattering or, um, why, why, why bother comparisons? Right. Yeah. Um, and each one of us got around that in our own way. Uh, and I like how Ian does it here of just being like, do it pretty true. And just make it 20 minutes long, like make it a short film, because then it's not one movie against the other movie. Mm-hmm. It's one movie, like it's that same, like just end up doing a love letter, but the love letter is a 20 minute short film yeah, as opposed to a full adaptation, <laughs> remit, whatever. Or maybe, um, or maybe it's like an anthology of, uh, of silent films that are sort of like compressed into, and so you can kind of do like, yeah, a, could you, you uh, could you do this for Metropolis and Nosferatu? Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Um, and then also you can like you try to play with some of the same techniques, um, like the tinted colors, the static camera, uh, set it at the same time. You can still have sideshow, like then you can keep it as a period piece, um, period piece in our case. It was just a piece when it came out. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's, that's, that's the other way is you can, you can do it pretty true by just like 
speeding through all of the limitations of a film from the 20s. Nothing else to say, says Robert Eggers and Willem Dafoe need to be attached to it. I mean, Willem Dafoe is is obviously the Dr. Caligari of my version, right? (laughs) Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Robert Um, Eggers would probably crush this, I think. So I think I think he would crush it if you gave him like just remake Dr. Caligari. Boom. He's he's done it. Like I think he would be the guy that. Yeah. Yeah. Who who do you cast in Scott's version? Just like everyone take a take a character. You think Defoe is Caligari? I, I think Defoe would be would be a suit like I think he could do the I think he could do like the weird doctor aspect of it very well. Yeah. Uh especially like doing like monologues. Obviously, if you're basing this guy on on Jordan Peterson a little bit, he's going to have a monologue at some point. The very mm-hmm. opposite of a silent film. Um, and <laughs> I could see I could see Defoe absolutely crushing something like that. I, and I think I, he could he could do it really creepy. He's played Max Shrek in in Shadow of the Vampire, which was a, a riff on Nosferatu. So he's already done stuff in this time period, kind of playing up that creepy factor. Uh, yeah, I think he'd be good. I'll take uh, Chesare. I think I think Timothy Timothy. <laughs> <laughs> he already has the kind for of the Ches- look for Chesare. Yeah, see, I think it's Robert Pattinson for, for oh, Chesare. Yeah, that would work too. Yeah. Um, and then <laughs> thinking about Scott's got him as teenagers or young people. Who do you get as like a youth? You know, because I think anyone we pull is gonna be gonna be old. But for for Francis, um, I hadn't lost it. Fuck. I mean, Timothy Jim and Jiminy is as uh, uh, Francis would work, but no, I had a really good. Oh, um, you do you do like a Will Poulter would kind of work, I think maybe. Yeah, because um, he's got a bit of this sort of gooberish. Like my friend died. Oh. <laughs> what is this guy doing? I got, I love Jane so much. I can see like um, uh, was this like a Steinfeld? No, is that his name? <laughs> uh, he's the actor. That you really like a lot, Liam. What's his? Oh, Lakeith Stanfield. Lakeith Stanfield. Sorry, there you go. That's fair. Like, I, I think you do him if you're doing a like set it in an old timey period version. But mm. I think in Scott's version, where they're high schooler or college age, mm, sure. uh, unfortunately, both Robert Pattinson and uh, Lakeith Stanfield are, are too old. Yeah. Oh, um, Robert Pattinson, Lakeith- not not necessarily if he's playing Cesare. Cesare, yes, no, but for for the the young for um, Francis and Alan. So yeah, though Lakeith Stanfield also would make a good Chesare, right? Like I, I was thinking, he's, he's he, the I guy think, who looks at the camera and yells, "Get out!" <laughs> That's fair. I, I think he would also make a pretty good Francis too. That's fair. Yeah, in the right in the right context. Yeah, yeah. Tack says, "I don't know what I would change story wise, but I kind of know what it should look like. The cinematography should start off very cold and objective, and as it teases at Caligari, the colors start to warm and the camera starts to move dynamically." That's my biggest problem. I was like, let's just get that camera moving and everything <laughs> solves a lot of problems. When Caligari shows up, the scene becomes brighter and everyone acts more lively. Costumes and sets start to shift as reality seems to bend around him, though no one seems to notice. By the time Francis is chasing him into the asylum, they're running through impossible architecture and rooms that belong in different buildings and genres. Francis's clothes slowly change from heroic to villainous, and Caligari becomes framed as an innocent running for his life. When Caligari is trapped, Francis starts an evil anger-fueled monologue, but stops realizing the manipulation right before getting knocked out. Then yada yada yada, eventually Caligari dies, and immediately the cinematography returns to cold objectivity. It's an interesting take on it, yeah. Yeah, I think I like that. 
I, I interesting he says Caligari dies because in the in the film it like it seems like yeah he doesn't die in in this movie so I'm, I'm wondering where that comes from. I, I think he, I think I, I think he's just using that as a way to have fun with the the cinematography, like mm. it being it, like it, the cinematography itself being so communicative of what's going on. So like when he when he dies, the grip he has on um, the distortion of reality also folds away. Yeah, my I I played with the idea of doing something uh, with my modern remake, and the truth is. And this is one of the reasons why I like uh, Greg and Liam's uh, kind of loving animated homage to Dr. Caligari a lot is because that can replicate the style and the and the sets and the the weird typography. palettes and the typography in a way that I think like a modern thriller psychological slasher movie can't. And I know that if you did that in my version, it would just be like people, it would, people would roll their eyes (laughs) Mm -hmm. because it would be very obviously me like, oh, we're going to cram a little bit of the original in there. And it's like, no, that's, that's a product of its time. That's a product of that movie. And I'm not trying to, I'm trying to retell the story. I'm not trying to remake the movie, if that makes sense. Yes. Um, Because I can't, I can't capture that lightning, but I can retell that story. Yeah, you and can that's- retell the story. And if you try to retell the story and remake the movie, like you're saying, like what wouldn't work? Your best case scenario is Sucker Punch. <laughs> like <laughs> yeah, best you're, you're case scenario, <laughs> Sucker Punch. So. Uh, and then Michael Davis says, "Have you guys ever thought about doing Ed Wood's Plan Nine from Outer Space? It's considered one of the worst movies ever made. It's a premise of aliens trying to take over Earth by bringing the dead back to life. So it sounds promising. Also, I think it's public domain. Uh, we love that suggestion, Michael. And frankly, we just uh, love hearing from you guys about these episodes that we've been doing, these remake episodes, uh, a product of uh, adhering to uh, strike uh, striking actors' requests. But uh, like Scott said off the top, the kind of thing that's pretty fun, and we're going to probably keep doing them. So if you like these episodes, please let us know uh, in uh, the comments uh, of wherever – you're interacting with us on social media, come over to our discord. You can get the link to it. Uh, I have some notes.com on our link tree. Uh, let us know if you're, if you're vibing on these. Cause like we also said off the top, not all, you know, talk about hundred year old movies versus big tentpole blockbusters. Not always something people are going to maybe uh, make time to listen to. So we're trying to balance the, like, what do you guys want to hear versus what do we want to do versus what do we want to honor? So your feedback, very appreciated. Um, so if we were to do, uh, another one like this, is it something you'd want to hear? And if we did, is it plan nine from outer space? I will say that, uh, when it comes to bad movies, they're often harder to fix. (laughs) 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 Um, and our sweet spot we discovered a long time ago tends to be like middling movies where there's something really good there. It just needed to be improved. Mm. Uh, and we often struggle the most when we're dealing with something that's so bad that we really have to like start rebuilding it from the skeleton or something that's quite good that it's, it's really close and it's really hard to find those little, the the screws that needed tightening. Yeah. Plan nine from outer space would be a challenge. I feel I, yeah, I, th- I think is a famously bad director. <laughs> oh, for sure. I, I think if we're approaching it from uh, the remake point of view, where it's like it is sort of like building it 
uh, up from from yeah. scratch. That makes things a lot easier. Um, that might because, be the only way we could even, do it. Yeah, even some yeah. bad, bad, bad movies have like a, a like a kernel of an interesting idea on that on it, and like and like trying to see if you can tease that out. I think would be a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. So is yeah. is there a way you can tease uh, aliens? trying to bring the dead back to life to take over the world uh is there a way you can make that interesting <laughs> maybe maybe not who knows probably i would say yeah certainly willing to find out um highly likely if we do one of these again that'll be uh, one of the picks but we'll see we shall see uh but that's the kind of feedback we love so if you want to follow us on social media facebook.com slash i have some notes at i have some notes on x uh we're on blue sky we're on instagram but most importantly we're on discord please come join us in the discord it's oh so much fun or at the very least subscribe rate and review on your favorite podcast app that you're using right now yeah uh you can also head over to patreon.com slash i have some notes if you'd like to throw us some monthly financial support helps keep the lights on we appreciate all of our patrons and we would like to appreciate you the same way we appreciate them by giving them uh, some extra bonus content and uh, treating them a little bit nicer in the Discord. Sorry to all the non-patrons in the Discord. <laughs> we definitely treat them nicer. <laughs> and in two weeks, we'll be we'll be taking on a, a Duncan Jones-directed film. Um, and obviously, we're not talking about Warcraft because we are still <laughs> not doing struck work. But he did do a movie on uh, you can watch on Netflix right now called mute um that is uh according to imdb about a mute bartender uh goes up against his city's gangsters in an effort to find out what happened to his missing partner so it is uh, i think duncan jones is you know definitely an up and down uh filmmaker this is one of the down ones so it's right in our wheelhouse so we'll (laughs) see you then yeah you got two weeks to watch it and uh it's not struck work because it's british and german european movie Technically, yeah, we had a little technical slide in there. Sidle in. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, hope you'll hope you'll watch that so you can join us uh, in two weeks' time. Until then, I've been your host Liam Kreswick. I'm Scott C. Bourgeois. I'm Greg Beaver. Keep watching the skies. Mm